0: Well, good evening, everybody. Let's uh, do a little bit of business first, shall we? Is this too crowded for you? No? Okay, so last week it was more crowded than this, and uh, so we had some discussions in staff meeting about whether it would be easier for y'all if we went up to uh, Wolf Conference Center. Um, So you want to stay down here and give it another week? Or, okay, all right, so if you have a problem with stand down here, just catch me or Elvin or Dr. Nichols, if you will, and then uh, we'll discuss it, but we don't want it to be uncomfortable. Some people get claustrophobic, which means if they get stuck in the middle of one of these deals, could be freak out moment for us, so uh, we don't want that, obviously, so, all right, uh, another thing, just as a point of information, I was told just as I came in that Denise Johnson's father died today. And so we want to be sure and pray for uh, her and for that family as they work through that. Okay? Okay. So you're two weeks into your Beatitude study. Any uh, comments or reflections of the study so far for you? Not so much in here as much as how's it going for you? you? Any of you working through those passages of Scripture through the week? Anybody really doesn't want to answer today? <laughs> okay? All right, so I, I was on a jury panel one time, and the attorney said, "I'll since you're quiet, I'll just assume that what you mean is what I want." So I'm going to assume everything's going all right, and I hope so for you. Take your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter five and verse five tonight. Are you tired of the Sermon on the Mount yet? No. Those people people started to tell me. Stepping on my toes. So let me just tell you, all right, uh, if I'm stepping on your toes in the sermons, I'm missing because I'm shooting for your heart, all right? Yeah. And uh, I'll remind you that that's Jesus's sermon, not mine, just so you know. So. Okay, um, so um, a, a number of years ago now, there was a movie that came out that was based on a book. The movie starred uh, this struggling actor whose name uh, Robert... Redford. Just checking on you there. Uh, he played a guy, a character named Tom Booker. Anybody know the the movie or the book I'm talking about? Called The Horse Whisperer. And if I understand it right, because I slept through most of that movie. Uh, <laughs> Teresa thought it was a great movie, though she told me so. Um, But if I understand it right, the plot of that movie was uh, a teenage girl and her horse were involved in in an accident where a friend of hers and her horse were killed and this girl was struggling to make the adjustment and her horse was struggling even more so, even though they survived the crash, there were all kinds of issues. And so the mom took the teenage girl and her horse, her horse's name was Pilgrim, uh, all the way up to uh, Montana where Tom Booker, played by Robert Redford, uh, was a specialist who, and that's the name of the book and the name of the movie, The Horse Whisperer, because he had this uncanny ability to deal with horses with behavior problems that caused them to kind of relax and to kind of come back into a more healthy point of reference. You with me? How many of you remember the movie? All right. So if you don't remember the movie, I've given you the gist of it. So the question is, who is going to be the whisperer into your ear to help maintain spiritual health for you? Holy Spirit, Spirit, it's a great answer. Um, Do you have people in your life? Do you have practices in your life? that help you to tune in to the Holy Spirit as he speaks life into every moment of every day. Now sometimes as Christians we tend to kind of slip into a deal where uh, we almost relegate God to special moments rather than every moment. And that's some of that is just the nature of life and walking through it. Uh, But we need to have an ear that's tuned to the Holy Spirit as we go through everyday life to keep us in the channel, so to speak, and being where we need to be. So uh, with that in mind, let's jump into round three of the Beatitudes here. Uh, Real quick review. Tell me what you know about the structure of the Beatitudes. I'm not going to do this every week, but after tonight, I'll probably push it to the side, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. When we look at all the Beatitudes, what do we see? What uh, What common traits do we find? What's the structure, et cetera? I'll be quiet. You talk. Okay, one builds upon another one, all right? Very good. Two parts. Two parts. two parts, and how would you identify the two parts? Condition and reward. Condition and reward. Each one of them is in two parts. There's a condition stated in the beginning and a reward or a promise on the back side. Very good. There's another two part to the Beatitudes. What is that? Okay, first half or Love God are tied to that, and the second half are tied to love people, right? Very good. So now you're all experts on the Beatitudes.
1: <laughs>
0: well, at least so far. So with that in mind, let's read. Somebody, if you will, just let's just read the first four. Um, that's Matthew 5. Let's read verses 2 through 6. Okay? This is the message, so it's very important. Okay, good. You're
1: blessed. When you feel you've
0: lost what is most dear to you, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't
1: be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God, He's food and drink, in the best meal you'll
0: ever eat. Okay. All right. That's pretty, pretty uh, rich language, right? Okay, very good. So we're in the third one here, and I'm going to get to the third one here in just a few moments. Let me ask you a question or two. At what age, some of you are child specialists and teachers and educators, and what, what is the age that is optimum for us to teach children to be selfish?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> At one hour of age. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we don't have to teach them that, right? Why don't we have to teach them that? They're born, way. They're born that way. What does that tell us? Get theological now for me. We are. Sorry? We are born that way. Sin. It's our sin nature. All right. So I heard a sermon this morning from a preacher who was saying something about sin and control and all of that. You with me on all of that? So the essence of sin is control. And one of the ways that I, I think that it helps us to just kind of grab hold of that is we don't have to teach an infant to be selfish. By definition, they're selfish. If they're hungry, they scream. It's not enough just to ask. It's got to be a scream, right, to get our attention. Right? Now, there's other, I know there's other uh, developmental things going on with the scream and a child and all of that, but as they get older... They learn, or it's inherent in them, to say, mine. No matter whose it is, if I want it, it's mine. So that goes back to all the stuff this morning. So I'm not going to relive all of that and retread that water with us necessarily. Uh, but I do want to kind of begin from that vantage point where the essence of sin is controlled. We're made that way. I mean, that, that's how we're born, right? Not what we're born for. We're born for a relationship with our Heavenly Father. But our sin nature, that selfish part of us, that God complex that every one of us has, has that that propensity to just push away and say it's about me and it's about mine. So let's take a type A person. And I don't want elbows flying to spouses now, right? (laughs) But let's take a, what do you call a type A person person? With control
1: issues? <laughs> Was
0: that my wife that said that? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs>
0: what do you call a type A person with control issues? Micromanage? Micromanage? Okay. I call them angry, just angry people. Right, goes back to some of where we were this morning. If you can't have your way and you have to have your way and everything has a certain spot and it's got to be in the spot and it's got to be on time and all those things, that person tends to get a little bit angry with their life. But let me give you anger's kissing cousin, spiritual pride. Oh, uh, yeah, he went there, right? <laughs> so somebody, y'all give me, what's your working definition for spiritual pride? Okay? Wow. Did you hear what she said? I know the Lord better than you. Okay? Somebody else. A working definition for you. Spiritual. My way or the highway. highway. Say that again. Sanctimonious. Sanctimonious, All right? So what I really want to do is is say, okay, give me some examples of that, but I'm afraid that you'll talk about me and, you know. (laughs) Okay, or church even. I've heard that before. Yeah, very good. I don't need a church to worship. Okay, right. God needs me. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody went. Ooh. <laughs> okay. So, um, what is what is the answer for spiritual pride? Humility. Okay. See verse, see okay, very good. This Actually, all of this has been reviewed so far, and the test was that question, and it, the answer was humility, which we find in the first beatitude, which is I'm spiritually bankrupt. I do not have what it takes. In the second service this morning, uh, I try to be very intentional for y'all's sake to kind of pull you in with the Sunday night stuff because the whole sermon on the mount, we're in that first of the antitheses where jesus says you've heard this but i tell you this and what we're going to find over and over again is the reality that every one of those is going to throw us back to the first beatitude it's amazing when you get down and roll around in the sermon on the mount how it all fits together uh and you, you see jesus obviously we would expect him to be the best preacher ever and he is and his sermon is just rich with that kind of stuff for us Okay, so all of that puts us in place for um, this next beatitude. I'm going to read it out of my translation. I loved what we already heard out of the message. But here's the way most of us memorize it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So um, what is the word meek? Um, Well, I want to say mean, but really the better question is how do people in our age view that word. Not necessarily church people, but just people generally. Weak, I heard that. A doormat. Very good. I, I love it. Y'all are engaged. That's good. Timid, all right. So the pictures of this little meek, little you know, quiet, afraid the wind's going to blow, it's going to blow me over, and I just don't want to tell anybody about it because it would just be too much trouble for everybody else to have to mess with my problems and all that stuff. That's the way our world seems to use the word and view the word meek. But that's not even close to the biblical word here, okay? And so let's do a little bit of uh, working on this for a second. One of the things that we have to do if we're all... Troubled by the sin nature, which is the God complex that I've been talking about. We have to answer the question, how do we break that tendency to try to be self-sufficient? We push self-sufficient with our kids, or we did at our house anyway. You don't need to be dependent on anybody else. You know, (laughs) don't come asking me for money. If you want to do something, get a job. (laughs) Might have been something our kids heard once or twice. But the problem is that we go to seed on that kind of stuff, right? And so we start living our lives because that sin nature is always crowding in. And we become this self-sufficient approach even in our Christianity and in our worship even. So how do we break that cycle? That's part of what this beatitude is about, I think. But one of the things I have to emphasize is our society feeds that in us. That self sufficiency, that be, you know, the spiritual pride part of us, they, we just take the pride thing and we push that. Even in our high schools, and I'm sure then our middle schools, and then those, you know, our kids played club soccer and all those kind of things. We are always saying to them, you know, you need to take pride in your product and you, you know, warrior pride or whatever the mascot is, you know, that kind of thing. And so we, we push that and we promote that. Even the games that our kids play. You ever play the game Balloon Stomp? You know what I'm talking about? Where you tie a string around. So I don't know where we came up with some of these games for kids. Give them strings and tell them to tie it around their ankles and put a balloon on the other side. And what's the goal of that game? Anybody know? Pop to pop everybody else's balloon before yours gets popped. And if yours gets popped, you're out. Dodgeball. What's the object of that game? Be the last one, right? So we promote this idea of being top of the heap, be, be best, be better. And so our society is pushing that on us. And I'm not saying that's all bad. There's a certain amount of, of that training we need to do with our kids, and that's a whole other series of Bible studies. But uh, the, the tendency that we have is to take that and to pull it in. And if we don't teach our kids, for instance, to counteract that, By submitting to Jesus Christ, then we train them not to need Jesus Christ if we're not careful. And so all of this, I think, comes down into this particular beatitude. The first one says, you just can't. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt. You do not have what it takes to earn life with Jesus Christ, to earn favor with God. You don't have what it takes. You'll never have what it takes. So you're not self-sufficient. That's the first one. The second one then, you tell me, how does it fit the first one? Test night. Say that again? Okay. Okay, great. And God's response to that morning is, how did we say it last week? He pulls you close. The word is is called alongside it's the same we use that the same word in a noun form to refer to the holy spirit jesus does parakletos the one who's called alongside and the picture is when we're mourning about our sin and the sin condition around us and the fact that we don't have what it takes to do anything about it jesus reaches out to us and he pulls us close and there's comfort in that which sets up now this one again the third which is blessed are the meek This is where Jesus takes another step with us. And to go back to what Bob uh, referred to, the stair step, the connected part of these beatitudes now. This is where Jesus, if you want to do a stair step going up, then he takes us up a step with this. If you want it more like going down or, you know, he's pulling us close and coming to our, this is another step. Either direction, this one is tough for us because we have that idea that says I can do it. Okay, I'm having to break that. And then we come to this one, blessed are the meek. The world says it's weak. But the ancient world said that the word meek or the way it was used in the Greek language was not one of weakness, but one of strength. We would say meek as a mouse. They would say meek as a lion. Big difference. Controlled strength is the great way. That's one I want you to hang on to here as we work our way through this, all right? It's the word picture for someone who takes a wild horse and breaks it and trains it to be ridden. Any of you ever housebroken a dog? So most dogs are not smart enough to get that the first time, right? And so you have to go through this, this process, and part of what you have to do It's the same thing you have to do with your teenagers. You have to break their will. Okay, now be careful how you hear what I just said. Okay, I'm not talking about breaking their spirit as teenagers, but you know, teenagers in my house, we just had to have several of those come to Jesus meetings. You know, those, somebody's going to be praying when that meeting's over. That's the kind of meetings we had. And we had to have several of those to let them know look, you're not the one who runs this house. I had a. I had a conversation with my oldest son. He had just, he'd been in college for maybe a year or so. He was in the process of burning out of college. And uh, he decided that he was a king of the hill in our house. He didn't pay anything, so I knew that couldn't be true. <laughs> and so one day, I, I, you know, I, I started listening to the way he was talking to his mama. And so I pulled him aside one day, made sure that she was where she could hear it, and I told him, let me tell you something. I wouldn't let any other man in this world talk to my wife the way you're talking to my wife. So if you think you want to keep living in this house and eating the food that we buy, then you're going to stop talking to my wife that way. Now, that took something because this kid is like... I'm not going to say like you. You thought I was going to say. He's like his daddy. He's got a stubborn streak in him, like all of us have, right? And it was one of those moments where he had to make the decision, am I ready to square off with my dad or not? He made a good choice that day. I'm going to tell you what it is. He just made a good choice that day, okay? The strength in him had to be controlled, Okay? I didn't want my son. we tried to raise them to be strong individuals and that kind of thing. I didn't want him going off into the workforce later and being this wimpy kind of mealy-mouthed kid who didn't do his job or anything like that. I wanted him to be a good functioning, contributing member of society. And I wanted him to be able to make up his own mind about stuff. But he needed to have it tempered. He needed to have it pulled down so that he could function well and understand that there are people above him in authority. No matter who you are and what your job is, there's always somebody who has authority over you. And if you're in a job, if you're your own boss and you're independently wealthy and you don't need it or any of that kind of stuff, you still have a boss, right? Who's that? God. So, so let's take a step here. This one came to be, let me go ahead and read this definition because this is, is pulling out of an older uh, dictionary. This term came to refer to a person who disciplines himself to be gentle rather than severe, nonviolent rather than violent. Which leads me to introduce you to my brother. Uh, my brother's two years older than I am, and he has been my hero for decades now. Uh, he was the Texas State Judo champ uh, in the heavyweight division right after he got out of high school. When he started learning martial arts, he was teaching me well, what that means. I was the dummy that he was practicing <laughs> on. One day he said, let me show you what I learned today, and he did some kind of a sidekick or something like that. He caught me right in the chest, knocked my breath out, and I fell down, and I thought I was dying. It was the only time in my life I saw him worried about me. Mostly, I found out later he wasn't worried about me. He said, don't tell Mom I'm Dad. You can't tell Mom I'm Dad. <laughs> <laughs> my brother was a fighter, played football in high school. He was a lineman, so he was one of the big, strong guys. He was mean. He was mean. And he was always looking for a fight. I remember com- him coming home one night, and he'd, he had been in a fight. Police got involved, and I remember hearing my dad talking to him. And, and it was the first time I'd ever heard real concern in my dad's voice because uh, he said this. Harvey, so- his name's Harvey. He said, sooner or later, you're going to find somebody who's bigger than you are and badder than you are, and they're going to teach you a lesson. And It happened. And it just made him meaner. And um, so that rocked on for a while. He nearly killed a guy one time. And and that was kind of a turning point for him. And he, he told me later, we were on a backpacking trip up here close to Santa Fe, and we were sitting around the campfire, and we were talking about how God had changed our lives. And he started talking about how God got involved in his life, and he was mean, and he said, you know, Mark, I was so far gone, doing my own thing, living for me, trying to just beat my way through life. He said that I I forgot how to love people. And he said, and then I reached the point where I wanted to love people, and I couldn't do it. I, I didn't know how to do it anymore. He said, I found myself sitting around thinking, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life because I don't know how to be around people and love them right. Strength, broken. But it's in that brokenness for him that God stepped into that and began to teach him how to love people. That's this word. It is going from violent to nonviolent, from vicious even to gentle. That's this word. Congratulations to the meek. H- how do we get there when we live in a society that trumpets strength and independence and all of those trappings that come with being a I have it all together kind of a person? How do we how do we fight that? How do we cut across the standards that society has? Okay, so we've got to hold up that that doesn't take you anywhere, right? How do we fight that? You understand the question? You're looking at me like, maybe not, all right? So in a society that pushes self-determination, self-sufficiency, power, strength, step on people to get to where you need to go, how do we, how do we counteract that? How do we fight that even in ourselves? Okay? And that's what we're learning in our Bible study here. Okay. Show who God is exactly. And study to show forth. You know? Study Him, His Word. Okay. I i yes, sir, go ahead. About uh always viewing others as being more important than yourself. Okay? Seems like that's biblical, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but how does the world respond to us when we do that? Do they look at us and go at us and go? Yeah, you're, That's a strong statement. Way to go! Or do they look at us as this weak kind of no real sense of backbone or anything like that? One of the things that I think helps us with that is uh, that we change our perspective. Okay, if you're one who fights that tendency to always for self to push to the throne, uh, and and for you know to, to push that. Spiritual bankruptcy off to the side, and that's really kind of where this is all coming back to, that that tendency for us to push ourselves to the throne. Even though in our best spiritual thinking we know that we can't do that, there are still those moments, and the world pushes in on us, and we go, well, okay, so I'll be in charge here. Part of the deal is we need to change our perspective. The reason that we push ourselves to be in control is because we look around at the people around us and go, I I can do it better than they can, so of course I should be there. That's spiritual pride. And so if we change our perspective, let's put it this way. Elvin played soccer, right? Right? Yes. Right? Sir. So, best soccer player in the room? Pretty, pretty, you think? Pretty sure, yeah. Pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love working, I love working with this guy, i got to tell you. Right? So, so tomorrow yeah he, he sent you back to the first beatitude.
1: I was going That's
0: awesome. I love working with him. So he may well be the best soccer player in this room. No way. But,
1: <laughs>
0: but even if he was, if I bring Lionel Messi in here, then all of a sudden you're not the best, right? Maybe. You could take him. You could take him, couldn't you? <laughs> Messi is, is one of the world superstars. If
1: this is Texas.
0: Yeah. are we talking? Okay. <laughs> because the Cowboys decided not to play football anymore, apparently. So, uh, Yes, ma'am? It's actually Cristiano Romando. Well, some would say that, yes. Some would say. <laughs> you see, what happens is we, we get that spiritual pride because we begin to compare ourselves to other people, and we always pick people. <laughs> that are below where we think we are. That's always a lot more fun to compare ourselves with those people, right? So put Jesus as the one that you're going to compare yourself to always, right? And so that begins to, to get us to that mental point. And I'm working at the mental part right now. I'm really trying to hammer for us that we have to make decisions not to fall into the way the world pushes us and even the way churches push us. You know, one of the things that happens, the the environment of churches is often that if you're there regularly enough and you quote enough scripture, we'll we'll just make you a Sunday school teacher. Sorry. Uh, I I worked at a church one time somewhere that the the staff believed, well, not all the staff, uh, but most of the staff believed that everybody in the church ought to teach a Sunday school class. Well, the problem with that is you've got to trip over some scriptures where, like James says, let not all of you uh, presume to be teachers, right? So we have to watch that, and the world pushes it in on us, and our church culture can even push it in on us, that we start thinking that maybe we're somebody, and that's when we have to go back to the first one. But that stubborn will part of us has to be broken. That's this word. Congratulations to the ones who have been tamed by God. Here's where it fits in your day-to-day life. If in your day-to-day life you find the struggle with sin, if you do, first of all, you're in good company. Paul said he had problems with that. If you find that you're in this constant battle with sin, and maybe, like I think it's in Hebrews, right, there is the sin that so easily besets us. Uh, We'll talk about that sooner or later, either in a sermon or a Bible study. But we're all given over to at least one area of our lives where we're most prone to sin. You may not have any trouble with alcohol, but you may have a real struggle with lying. You see what I'm saying? We all have our own little areas, and those things that really give us trouble, um, that's the Hebrews part of it. And so as as we work our way through daily life, we come up against that. And the first beatitude says you can't do it on your own. You need Jesus. When you ask for that, then you're in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you get the right response to that sin, but it's always there. It's always there. And that's the stubborn part of us that has to be broken by God. Blessed are the meek, the ones who have been tamed by God. Now we're three steps up. okay. This is now that point of life where we're starting to understand a little bit about the Christian life, and we're starting to walk that way. And in the process of doing that, we come into this reality that says, okay, I can't do it, um, and I I have to get Jesus in on my life in an ongoing basis, not Sundays and Wednesdays, not just Sunday morning. I need him in my life every (coughs) single day. And Jesus says, when you get to that point, congratulations, you've been tamed by God. What's the promise that comes on the back end of that? Okay, so what does that mean? (laughs) Not sure you want it, right? Yeah. Yeah, So this one, uh, this part, this promise trips up a lot of Bible scholars. Matter of fact, you can go out and spend money on books and you'll find all kinds of answers to what they think Jesus means with this. And uh, so let me, just because of the time factor we're in, I want to make sure that we get this. Let me just take you straight to the background passage that seems to be guiding this. Psalm chapter 37, or Psalm number 37, and particularly verse 11. But I want us to read the first 11 verses. Let me give you what to look for as we start reading it, okay? In Psalm 37... Uh, And you'll recognize some of the verses as we start reading through this. Psalm 37 begins to speak into that reality that some of God's people had about why the wicked were prospering and they were not. You ever wonder about that? So Psalm 37 speaks to that, particularly verse 11, but we're going to read verses 1 through 11. So somebody want to read that or you want me to do it? Okay.
1: Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take the in from the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the new day sun, And enjoy peace and
0: prosperity. Okay, so what's the contrast there? The righteous and the unrighteous. And the righteous are going, "Wait a minute. What's the deal here? How come they're getting everything, and we're not. And what's the overall passage that Bob read? What does that teach to us? What is the long-term benefit for those who are righteous and hold to the ways of the Lord? They'll inherit the land. Now, what land is he talking about in that song? Seven, 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 gates. The,
1: uh, the new earth.
0: Okay, so you find yourself, apparently, with the, all the other biblical scholars who don't really know, right? <laughs> because the tendency, I, I think here what Jesus is pointing to, has that eschatological down the road. You know, when Jesus comes back, it has that part of it. But I don't think that's really his primary thrust with this because I don't think that's the primary thrust of Psalm 37. The psalmist is writing and he's vocalizing, putting to music. Those are songs, remember. He's putting to music that heart part of what's going on with these people. And they're looking around going, we got nothing out of this deal. And the promise that they have is that God has promised them the promised land. If we jump over to Isaiah 61, verse 1, we're not going to look at it tonight. We looked at it last week. That one feeds into this. So those poor people, the poor and the ones who were left behind with the the children of Israel who were carried off into captivity and all of that, those who were left who had nothing, God stepped in through the prophet Isaiah. He steps in with this psalmist and he says, look, there is a promise for you. There is a future for you. There is a land for you. And he's talking about the promised land for them. And so when Jesus steps into this psalm, uh, this beatitude and he pulls from what we just saw, his point of reference is not so much, I don't think it's so much about which land do I get to inherit. The promise is that when you let God break your spirit, that spirit that says, I have to be in charge, I have to be the one to acquire, I have to get this, and I'm always going to be driving for this, that's American society today. When we allow God to break that in us, the promise is that we will get what we need. And in this case, the land means not just the actual land, although that's part of it. And when he comes back in the new heavens and the new earth, that's all part of it. But in the meantime, the promise is when we allow God to break us and we are the strength under control, then the things that we were striving to get He'll see to it that we get what we need. Okay? That's an incredible promise. Because the one thing, I think psychologically, at least for me, the one thing that works on me about, okay, man, you need to step back. You need to sit down. You need to let God be God. Let me put it in a, in a, in a real kind of a down-to-earth way to understand this. This comes up in our dealings with other people, Pull in from the morning stuff. We start having arguments with other people. And the reason... It's because our will is violated. It needs to be this way because you know that I know better than you know. We never say that, right? But in the back of our heads, we're going, this person's an idiot.
1: <laughs>
0: and so it becomes the squaring off. I, I'm right. We need to do this. And because If we don't do this, we won't get what we need. And so this, along with what we saw this morning, Jesus is saying, look, if you will let me be God... I can change that other person's mind. You're trying to argue them into a different position. I can change their mind. Now, with my son, I'll go back to that. Uh, He and I just nearly got after it that day, and I was ready to. I didn't want to, but I was ready to. And it became that moment he made a good decision because he stepped back from all of that. And then I watched him over the next few weeks as that confrontation began to work on him. And I watched him not just toe the line of what I was telling him to do, but I watched him begin to treat his mother like he needed to treat her. Strength under control. And when he started treating her that way, then I went right back into the part where I could say, you're my son, you get lots of stuff just because you're my son. I'll let you stay in this house, I'll feed you, I'll let you use my car, I'll put gas in your car, all of those kind of things that I was ready to take away from him. God says to us, if you'll just let me be God, I'll give you what you need. We can go to the New Testament and find lots of support scripture for that, right? Strength under control. And he gives you peace. It's a great way to say it. He gives you rest. You get tired of fighting? Try him out sometime. Say, okay, God, my nature says I've got to fight for this. But I'm going to let you be God. Let's see what you do. Okay, don't do that with your bills. You need to pay your bills. Okay? All right. Thanks for being here. God bless you. Let's pray and we'll go home. Somebody want to volunteer to lead us? Yes, ma'am. Our dear Lord in heaven
1: thank you, dear Lord, for this wonderful day of life that you've given us, for the opportunities that you've presented before us. I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful body of believers, dear Lord, that we have, that we can fellowship with, that we can praise with, that we can lift up our petitions to you uh, with and together. And Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go on out from this service that we allow you to take over in our lives, that we step aside and And understand, dear Lord, that we are nothing without you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we take your words to heart, that we may allow you to guide us throughout the week, dear Lord, and and spread your love and your mercy and kindness um, and good works, dear Lord, to the people of this community. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless these folks here as they head on out. In your son's name I pray. Amen.